0: with me, please, as I read aloud the opening 14 verses of Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. In these verses, we, we see the Apostle Paul declaring emphatically that he no longer was relying upon his own performance as a means of having peace with God. There had been a time in his life, there had been a long season in his life, where he had prided himself in the kind of person he was. He was a very religious person, He was a very moral person. He was a very zealous person and he was definitely a type A type personality. He was a very driven man, and no small part of his drive religiously was seeking to achieve his own righteousness before God, thinking in a misguided way that by his own performance he could earn favor with God. Well, God in His great grace had brought the apostle to see that that is indeed a woefully misguided way of looking at things. He'd been brought to see that the only way that sinners like you and I can have peace with God is through the righteousness that another provides, that righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. And having seen this, he repudiated his own efforts as a way of gaining favor with God, and he was relying entirely upon Jesus Christ and the righteousness that Jesus had performed in his own life here in this world. But resting in the righteousness of Jesus and glorying in the righteousness of Jesus and putting all of his hope in the righteousness of Jesus did not have the effect of leaving him kind of apathetic about his own performance. To the contrary, he was more resolved than ever to pursue after a life of holiness. Forgetting what lies behind, he says, he was determined to reach forward with everything in his being to lay hold of that for which also Jesus Christ had laid hold of him. He was conscious that he was far from perfect. He was aware that there was still a great amount of remaining sin in him. But one thing he does, he says, he speaks with determination. I am resolved that I will forget what lies behind and I will reach forward to what lies ahead to become a more and more Christ-like man. Well, with that kind of mindset, I want to encourage us tonight to think through some resolutions for the new year. Uh, We have come, it's hard to believe that another (laughs) year has slipped by, but uh, we are on the next to last day of 2012, and God willing, uh, we will enter into 2013 in a couple of days. And it's common at uh, this time, uh, of, uh, of the calendar year to, uh, to reflect upon our lives and uh, to think about resolutions. And I want you to consider with me six resolutions through which we too, if we're Christians, can press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to use the first person singular in expressing these resolutions And for you who are believers, I hope that you can say amen. That's that's my resolution as well. Resolution number one. I am resolved to regularly meditate on God's Word. I am resolved, God helping me, to regularly, habitually meditate upon God's Word. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Psalms in chapter 19. Psalms In chapter 19. And as you're turning there, let me remind you that the New Testament insists that the scriptures are profitable. Perhaps the Bible's most famous verse about itself is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which begins with the words All Scripture is inspired by God and is what? Profitable. Okay, the Bible insists that. It is beneficial, it is helpful, it it is practically useful. God did not give us the Bible just as something that can collect dust on the coffee table. God did not give us the Bible just because he was thinking, here's some helpful theories that in a time of crisis you can turn to. God gave us the Bible to equip us for life. And the Bible's view of itself is that it's useful, it's profitable. Psalm 19 is one of the many passages that underscores that point. Note verses 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Because the Bible is what it is, it does what it does. What makes the Bible unique? What makes the Bible different from the wonderful literature that is so readily available to us in our day? Uh, not just in your traditional book, but uh, you can read on your phone or on your Kindle and all, all types of media. But what, what makes the Bible unique? Well, simply that it is God's own revelation. And, and it, it takes on something of the attributes of God. There, there is something in Scripture that, that is almighty. There is something in Scripture that is, that is holy, uh, that, is, that, that is transcendent, that, that is authoritative, that is full of grace. Uh, this is God's own Word. And Psalm 19 tells us that the, the law of God, the, the Word of God, it, it's transforming. That's, that's that's most fundamentally what it does. It, it converts the soul. It, it transforms our lives. It, it gets down deep inside of us and changes us from the inside out. It makes wise the simple. How, how desperately we need wisdom from above as we seek to work out marriage, as we seek to work out parenting, as we seek to work out What it is to live a God-pleasing life in a fallen and cursed world. Well, Scripture, it makes simple people wise. It enlightens people. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. We live in a world where there are a lot of things that are troubling. There are things in our own hearts that are troubling. Some of us, by way of temperament, tend to have more of a minor key in our experience You don't go long in this world without being reminded that there are reasons for mourning. In some sense, there is always reason for mourning. The Bible rejoices the heart. How can we be joyful people in the midst of so much that is so wrong, in the midst of so much that is painful? Psalm 19 reminds us that that Scripture rejoices the heart. It reminds us that amidst all that is troubling and that is discouraging and that is painful, yet there are blessings to be counted. There are things to glory in. There are things to rejoice in. Scripture is very valuable for us. Let us resolve to regularly meditate upon God's Word. There are many things that we can read. There's only one thing that we must read. If we have the ability to read and we have access to a Bible, there's only one thing that we must read, and that is the Bible. And I want to encourage you. Some of you have been reading the Bible for decades. Perhaps there are some here who have never read through the whole English Bible, even one time. I want to encourage you to be resolved to meditate regularly upon God's Word. And as you do so, let me suggest several guidelines to keep in mind. One, all Scripture is profitable, and thus a plan to read through the entire Bible has merit. All Scripture is from God. All Scripture has divine purpose. Thus, there's merit in some kind of plan to read through the entire Bible. I'm not saying that every Christian ought always to be reading through the whole Bible. But it is a goal that I think every Christian should pursue, at least at some points in their pilgrimage. And I would suggest that generally, generally, we should have it as a regular ambition to read through the whole Bible. Not necessarily in one year. Maybe it would be over the course of several years. But there's value in exposing yourself to the whole message because the whole message is from God. Guideline number two, sometimes less is better than more. What is most important is that we chew on a little bit rather than simply take in a whole lot. I'd say that the main challenge that I have found and that I think many Christians find in a read-through-the-Bible-in-one-year plan is that you have to read so much that you kind of feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant and you get behind and then you've got a whole lot to read to catch up. And, you're not doing much quality reading perhaps because you get focused on quantity. Uh, It'd be better to read only a little portion of Scripture and to meditate upon what you've read than to read a large portion without meditating. You can do both. You can read a chapter, you can read three, four chapters, taking one sentence, one paragraph, and seeking to ponder that But work at the habit of of chewing on what you're reading. Take something that you've read, a phrase, a statement, uh, something that impresses you for some reason. It was encouraging. It was convicting. It was thought-provoking. Take something that you read and learn the habit of meditating. Sometimes less is better than more. Guideline number three. Focus on the New Testament more than the old. Focus on the new more than on the old. John 1, 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The New Testament is a fuller revelation of God than the old. The old is not less divine. The old is every bit as much from God as from the new, but the new is a more complete, a more mature disclosure of who God is. In the new, God came in person, in his son, to reveal himself. Relatively speaking, the New Testament gives us the full sunshine compared to the Old Testament being a shadowy dispensation. So I'm not trying to... um, To point to the Old Testament or to suggest that the Old Testament is not valuable, speaking in terms of proportion, the Bible should be read in the light of the New Testament because it is the fuller revelation. And I would suggest, and this is only a suggestion, but if you do follow a plan for reading through the whole Bible, I would suggest to you that you not use a plan where you just start in Genesis and begin working through the Bible, whereby... If you're sticking to a plan that will take you through the Bible in a year, you end up being in the Old Testament for nine and a half, ten months, and then you're just in the New Testament for the final two months of the year. I I would suggest that you not be away from the New Testament that much. I prefer myself a plan that has you in the New Testament a little bit every day. Focus on the New Testament more than the Old. Guideline number four, focus on what God has done Is now doing and will yet do more than on what you must do. Focus more on what God does than what you do. I'm not suggesting that we avoid the latter. A lot of the Bible has to do with what you and I must do, a lot of the Bible is law, telling us what God expects, what God requires warning us of what will happen if we don't take God's commandments seriously. But what God does is more decisive than what you and I do. The the overall Bible is not so much a moral code as it is a story of redemption, right? This is the good news. What God in Jesus Christ has done. So as we read the Bible, that overarching emphasis should always be given its due weight. We don't neglect to think about what God calls us to be, what God calls us to do. But we read our Bible in light of the grand message that Jesus came not so much to be served by what you and I do. He came to serve through what he did. And we should read the Bible in that Redemptive light. Guideline number five, focus on Jesus Christ. Remember the resurrected Jesus as he was on the road to Emmaus with the disciples and how they were talking. And in Luke twenty four, twenty seven, we read that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus Himself, when He had only an Old Testament at that point in redemptive history, and He's talking to two of these disciples, He took them to Genesis, and He took them through the Pentateuch, and through the prophets, and He was summarizing the message, showing how everything there in the Old Testament was pointing to Him. And we want to read the Bible in that light. Every road in the Bible leads to Jesus, We should begin our quiet time, and I hope it's your practice to have a daily quiet time. We should begin our quiet time with Jesus. Uh, He is the one who came into into the world seeking fellowship with people like us. We should begin our quiet time with Him, and every quiet time should lead us to Jesus as the Bible itself directs us to Christ. Well, Resolution number one, I am resolved to regularly meditate upon God's Word. Second, I'm resolved to give thanks to God more frequently. I am resolved to give thanks to God more frequently. Ephesians 5 and verse 20. In a passage where Paul is talking about being filled with the Spirit, he goes on to talk about what that looks like, what the manifestations of being filled with the Spirit are. And in verse 20 of Ephesians 5, one of those manifestations of the Spirit's presence in the lives of God's children is that they are giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that, that uh, I worked on this past year in an effort to uh, better fulfill the first resolution I was just talking about to meditate on God's Word is after many years of not having regularly memorized Scripture, I did that a, a great deal. As a younger Christian, I haven't done it as much in recent years, and I tried to get back into that this past year. And this Ephesians 5.20 was the first verse I took up. Uh, at the beginning of 2012, to try to commit this to memory, I discovered that in my 50s, my memorization capacity is not as strong as it was when I was in my 20s. But be that as it may. Uh, I worked on Ephesians 5:20, and y'all, it was good for me to be reviewing this text throughout the entire year. "Giving thanks always for all things." What an, an all-embracing phrase. What, what an inclusive statement giving thanks always, and just in case you don't get it, for all things. How helpful it was to me, again and again, to have that text come upon my mind and upon my heart, especially when things weren't going my way. The Spirit-filled life is not necessarily a life where we're just emoting warmly all over the place, but it is a life where we are acknowledging the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, the faithfulness of God, not just in our happy times, but even in difficult times as well. A parallel passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit living inside of our lives, if we're Christians, and if you're a Christian, you do have the Holy Spirit living inside your heart. The Holy Spirit's presence makes a powerful difference. He enables us to be what we could not be what we would not be, apart from his gracious presence. And one of the things that the supernatural spirit enables a sinner to do, is that the sinner is enabled through faith in God's word to recognize that in all things, a sovereign, loving God is at work with his children, making all things somehow, some way, to work together for our ultimate advantage. That even when I am going through a dark valley, That my God is there with me, and my God has purpose in what he is taking me through. Even if I am uncertain about what is right around the corner and scared about what may be there, that I have a God who knows my future, who loves me, and who is committed to being for me and working for me, whatever I must face in this world. The presence of the Spirit enables the Christian to respond to truth with thanksgiving. To recognize that, yes, goodness and mercy are following me, pursuing me every day of my life. Yes, my cup is overflowing. That may not be what I'm emoting right now. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm emoting like my cup has a big hole in it. And it's, it's getting empty fast. But that's not the reality that God defines. God defines reality for me, His child, as my cup overflows. It, it may not look that way. It may not feel that way. But the Spirit enables God's people to live not by what they feel, but by the words that proceed from God's mouth. And the fact of the matter is, If you are the child of God, if heaven is your home, if God is your father, if Jesus Christ is praying for you, if the Spirit of God is inside you, your cup does overflow. Yes, the doctor's news may be be bad. Yes, you may lose your job. Yes, your child may not be converted. there are still blessings to count. And let us be resolved that we will grow in giving thanks to God continuously, wholeheartedly, sincerely. Let me give you a practical suggestion. I want to encourage you to consider in the year 2013, maybe some of you do this regularly. But I want to encourage you to consider keeping some kind of record in 2013 of your blessings. It doesn't have to be a real demanding thing. I'm not talking about something that you have to do every day. Um, But if nothing else, striking answers to prayer. Just something where you're conscious that we prayed about that and God said yes. Or or maybe God said no, but He made it it clear. He he answered our prayer. Or or maybe just those things where you have a conscious sense of relief that God did something for you or God kept you from something. We all have those experiences, don't we? And the truth of the matter is we forget most of God's blessings. It's, It's not that we haven't experienced them. It's not that we weren't conscious of them. But we forget them. And there is something valuable about having some way of being able to look back. And God did that for us. And, and it was so encouraging to us. I began two years ago what I call a gratitude journal. And I just keep it on a Word document in my laptop. And uh, I haven't kept it as regularly as I would like. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not the king of discipline. And uh, even the, the word resolutions kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies because I, I don't do resolutions real well. But a couple of years ago, I began a gratitude journal. And, uh, and I just started my laptop. And I ended up on average in 2011, two years ago, probably putting entries in about every three weeks or so. Just various stuff that I would put in. And uh, at the end of 2011, I had about 25 pages on this Word document. And, uh, and I tell you, but before Thanksgiving of that year, I went back over that whole document, and it encouraged my socks off. There's just a lot of stuff that I had forgotten about. And I was so thankful to have the record of what God did, and I... And I Did the exercise one day of working through those 25 pages and culling out what I thought at the time were the kind of the top 10 blessings that I could remember from 2011. And just a few weeks ago, I went back and read that summation of my my top 10. And again, it was just such an encouragement to my heart to think back over what God did. And I was able to uh, continue with that practice this past year in 2012 of a gratitude journal. And I look forward to God helping me within the next week to going back through all that material. And again, trying to cull out kind of the leading blessings of 2012. Uh, in the past, I've tried to have one of these nice, uh, what do they call these plain book journals? You can buy bookstores, you got the nice cover and they look so pretty. And I never was able to stick with those things. But uh, you can use a journal that looks real pretty or you can you can just write something on a scrap piece of paper and throw it into a file folder, but I want to encourage you to consider some method that works for you of trying to keep track of some of the leading blessings. Now, if you're real disciplined, you you could write down things every week or every day, but at least some of the leading blessings where you are conscious God has done something for you that is sweet, that, that is dear. You thank Him for it. Make some kind of record of it and put it somewhere where you'll remember later where you can find it, and you can go back over it. You'll be encouraged. Your faith will be strengthened, and it can help you to build the habit of giving God thanks always for all things. That's resolution number two. Resolution number three is this. I am resolved to love God's people in this body more fervently. I am resolved to love God's people in this body more fervently. 1 Peter 4 8, and above all things, keep fervent in your love for one another. Peter, in that text, 1 Peter 4 8, is drawing attention to the fact that there are some duties that rise in importance above other duties. There are some responsibilities that, relatively speaking, are secondary in significance and others that are primary in significance. And Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, this duty is one to give attention to, keep fervent, keep warm, stretch out in your love one for another. Now, just like the earlier... Uh, resolutions. We could camp on this for a while, but <clears throat> I simply want to uh, to underscore that we we live in a day where so often relationships are superficial, and it can be that way within the family of God as well. Relationships can be superficial, and. Uh, In the church where I'm at, we have a a, a relatively large membership. And so I I appreciate the fact that there are situations where we cannot know everyone well. Uh, There are situations where we cannot know everyone even within one church body intimately. But we should make it our aim, believing that Christ places us in the body according to his will and that he places us in the body so as to Perform a given function, that we each are a vital part of the body, and that we each have an assignment. We each have a a role to fulfill, a a part to play. And I want to encourage you that as you seek to fulfill your role in this body, that you would do so with, with a determination that you will grow in coming months to love one another more deeply. One practical suggestion that I'd like to give to you, and perhaps this is something that that you do regularly already, but if not, I'd like to encourage you in the practice of praying through the membership. There are many things that we can do as an expression of the call to love one another. It, It begins, in a very real sense, with the effort to get to know one another and to enter into one another's lives, to understand one another's burdens, one another's joys, to be able to sympathize with one another and to enter into one another's lives. But perhaps the most basic way that we can love one another in a local fellowship is to commit to pray for one another, to to seek from God those blessings that God alone can impart. We need God to build our homes. We need God to guard our city. We need God to work in and for and through us in ways that, that, that people can't perform. And prayer is the language of our dependence on God, our trust in God. One of the most basic ways that we can love one another in a church is to commit to pray for one another. So I'd like to encourage you in the practice of praying through your church directory. Do you all have some kind of, of a paper that gives a list of the people in the church? And it may be just one family a day, it may be a couple, you could schedule it according to what you think realistically would work best for you, but I'd like to encourage you to not simply pray for one another at times of specific need, such as someone's having surgery tomorrow, or someone's unemployed, there are special times of prayer, but make it your practice to be regularly praying for everybody in this fellowship, and if you come to someone concerning whom you feel clueless how to pray for them beyond the general outlines of Scripture that would guide you in praying for anyone, what a great opportunity to give them a call or to approach them at a church service and say, I was praying for you this week and was wondering how could I better pray for you. Do you have any specifics that you could give me that would help me? And it's a way of getting to know one another better. Let us be resolved that we will seek to work out better in coming months the call to regard others as more important than myself. We're to love all people, right? But we have a special responsibility to the people of God. Do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. And while there are many Christians, God in His providence has placed you in a living uh, relationship with one another here in this body, Mount Hermon, Missionary Baptist Church. So you have a special relationship to one another. May God help you to grow in your love for each other. Resolution number four, I'm resolved to show compassion to the needy. I am resolved to show compassion to the needy. Matthew 14 and verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. One of the most common phrases that we find in the Gospels concerning Jesus is this phrase, moved with compassion. When you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with the question, what does this tell me about Jesus? And that was the main aim of the gospel writers, to tell us about Jesus. Well, what what do these books tell us about Jesus? One of the most striking features is that he was a man moved by the distress of others. When he saw hurting people, it touched him. When he saw the suffering, he pitied them. He felt compassion for them. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan, but he himself is the Great Samaritan. He's the one who exemplified that way of living, that you don't just pass by on the other side. You get involved with people. This is the life. This is the Christ-like life. You care for people. And you seek to do so out of a heart that, that... really is concerned it's easy to be overwhelmed in our day where TV can bring into our homes every night of the year afflicted people all over the world Uh, we could give away every dollar in our bank accounts uh, in the next 24 hours to various causes where uh, people are suffering and people are hurting and uh, (coughs) how how do we go about working out the stewardship to care for the needy? Well, that, that is worthy of a whole series of messages. But let me simply encourage you tonight to ask God as you anticipate a new year, to ask God to direct you and to give you a heightened sensitivity and to give you wisdom as to how you, at this season in your life, and that's important, How you, at this season of your life, should work out the call to live in a Christ-like way of showing compassion to the needy. I think of one woman in our church. Uh, She's been a grandmother for years. Her life has been almost consumed over more than three years now with caring for a mother who's got a very decided case of dementia. And Martha is convinced that her mother is not getting the level of care in the facility where she now lives that Martha herself can provide for. And so Martha goes over every day in order to supplement the care that her mom receives. It's it's been a consuming thing at this stage of her life. Uh, She is answering the call to be a good Samaritan basically in just one direction, her mom. Well, there may be someone here tonight that you're in a somewhat similar situation. You've got an aged parent that requires a, a tremendous amount of time, and, and that's where you're seeking to work out this call to show compassion to the needy. Perhaps there's a ministry far away from here, a child, a needy child in China that you and your family might support. Uh, we've, uh, we've adopted a Dominican village in our church, and we have a uh, uh, about 25 different families in our church who've each adopted a child in this particular village and they're sending money that provides for the children to be fed and to receive a basic education and to have basic clothing. There are many ministries that are, that are like that and perhaps that would be a type of a ministry that you would enter into. Some of you may well be doing that kind of thing already. There are many different ways in which compassion can show itself and My concern is not to try to impose upon you one given way, but simply to ring the bell afresh tonight that the Christian life, the Christ-like life, is one of being touched by the hurting. Maybe there are things right here in Nash County, in the Rocky Mount community, uh, a prison ministry, a nursing home ministry. I spend about eight hours each week at a nursing home in our area. It's a second job. I work as a part-time chaplain. And uh, that takes up most of my time, along with my full-time work as a pastor for mercy-type ministry. But I'm oftentimes reminded, over at the Presbyterian Home at Hallfields, that's the name of the home, I'm oftentimes reminded of how needy that segment of our population is. There are people who they don't have family, they're lonely, they're debilitated, and... And it's an opportunity to to minister to people who are hurting. Uh, And uh, there are things that we can do that don't involve an extraordinary effort. It involves just some thought and a commitment to action. Let me encourage you to be resolved to have compassion on the needy. Resolution number five. I am resolved to love my spouse... Better than ever. I am resolved, obviously, this is for married people. I am resolved to love my spouse better than ever. Genesis 2 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. There's only one relationship on earth that God defines as a one-flesh relationship, and that's the marriage relationship. If you are a husband, as I am, there's only one person on this globe that God commands me to love in a special way as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her, and that is my wife. If you are a wife, God has called you to one man in a particular way to do him good all the days of his life. Marriage is not always easy, and I have lived long enough and I've pastored long enough to know that even within Christ's church, uh, marriages oftentimes involve uh, real disappointment and uh, And some marriages, more than others, are just hard and involves a lot of work and a lot of determination. Sometimes there are grievous injuries that are incurred along the way. Uh, Sometimes there's just a lot of neglect that has taken place, a taking for granted. Uh, Marriage involves, for all of us, a lot of the mundane, a lot of the same old, same old, and thus, uh, we're all vulnerable on some level to uh, not appreciating one another as we should and to uh, slipping into ruts of, uh, of uh, negligence or self-centeredness. And uh, we want to remind ourselves repeatedly, in a new year is a, is a good time to do so, to remind ourselves that God has called us to work out a relationship to our spouse that is unique, that there is something unique and special about this God-given, one-flesh relationship, and I am called to love this person better than any person in the world, save Christ himself. This is my mission, no matter how challenging that may be no matter what level of disappointments there may have been. On the other hand, even if marriage has been great, I I am called to love better and to appreciate more all that can and should be appreciated about my God-given spouse. There are so many little things that can be done that can convey appreciation, that can show kindness. Uh, There are big things as well. Uh, I don't necessarily discourage big things if you have the wherewithal to do that. But I'd like to especially to encourage you in the little things that can be done to feed your marital relationship and to and to nurture uh, your expressions of appreciating your God-given spouse and of your loving your God-given spouse. You're regarding them as more important than you. I encourage you to be resolved that you're going to work that out, God helping you better than ever in 2013. That this is your assignment and that God has been kind and wise in placing you in, in a yoke with this person It's lifelong, and you are going to be the best possible spouse that you can be. Seeking to protect your spouse, seeking to comfort your spouse, seeking to encourage your spouse to be as useful as they possibly can be. That you're in their corner, that you're going to fight for for their growth, and for their happiness, and for their safety. No small part of God's design in marriage is to provide protection and safety? What can I do to to help the safety of my spouse? And what can I do to become a better companion to her, to become a better friend to him? Can I listen better? Can I sympathize more deeply? For all of us, surely there's growth that can be experienced. Well, finally, resolution number six. I am resolved to grow in my awareness of Christ's love for me. I am resolved, God helping me, I am going to grow in my experiential awareness of the affection of Jesus Christ for me, the loyalty that he has to me, the commitment that, that he sustains to me, the generosity that he exercises towards me, the pity with which he looks upon me, the friendship that he freely offers me, the forgiveness that he repeatedly has poured out upon me. I am resolved that God helping me, I am going to grow in my appreciation for these realities that Jesus Christ loves me, that He has accepted me, that He delights in me, that He is awaiting me, that He is anticipating me, preparing a place for me, that He wants me, a guy like me, He wants me to be with Him and is looking forward to the day when I shall be in His presence. And He will be able to fully disclose things that I was not able to fathom here in this darkened world. I'm going to seek to grow through the ministry of the Spirit of God and the truth of God. I'm going to seek to grow in coming months in an awareness that the God who made the universe loves me. And does so with his eyes wide open to what I am really like. I can say with, with sincere candor, I would not want any of you to know everything that has passed through my thought life in the last three days. And I'd say that concerning any three days of my life. I would be embarrassed. I would be ashamed for you to know the full detail of what goes down the corridor of my heart at times. Well, Jesus knows exactly what goes down the corridor of my heart. And knowing full well what Stu Johnston is like, Jesus Jesus loved me. When I was his enemy, he loved me. And we we must seek to grasp better the love of God in Jesus Christ. We think about something like resolutions, and it's tempting to get discouraged. When we think about resolutions, we're thinking about our performance. We're thinking about how are we doing? And where do we need to improve? Where are we weak? And that can get discouraging quickly because we're weak in many areas. And we need to improve all over the place. And it's proverbial for resolutions to be abandoned six days into the new year. Um, It's a great thing, as we saw at the very beginning from Philippians 3, that our salvation is not based on how well we perform. Because we're toast, if that's the case. Our salvation is based on how well Christ performs. And Christ is flawless in loving his people. He never, ever drops the ball. And the heartbeat of living Christian experience is expressed in a text like Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is at the heart of living Christian experience. The life that I now live, the Christian life, this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let us resolve to meditate upon our Bibles and let us chew on the Bible remembering that it all points to a loving Savior. It all points there somehow, some way. And let us resolve to give thanks always And let us be mindful that on our worst days, if we're believers, we have the pearl of great price. We have Jesus. And let us resolve that we are going to love God's people more fervently. And let us be thankful that one of the ways that Jesus shows his love for us is through his people. And that oftentimes he, as it were, hugs us through a sister or brother who embraces us. And oftentimes he speaks words of comfort to us through a sister or brother who speaks words of comfort to us. And he shows his kindness through that meal that someone brought and through that encouraging email that someone wrote and through that squeeze on the shoulder that someone gave as I passed by and through that prayer that they prayed for me. Let us be mindful that one of the ways that Christ shows his love for us if we have a Christian marriage is through having given us a Christian spouse someone who prays for us someone who, who wants to see us be holy, who wants to walk with us in the narrow way that leads to heaven well I hope that this may be of some help to us as we all Anticipate entering into a new year. Let's pray together, please. Our God, we we thank you for the love of Jesus. We apologize for how often our hearts are cold with respect to that reality. And we pray, O God, for grace that through your Spirit that we might grow in grasping the height the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of Christ, that love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, Lord, we pray that as we would remember the death of our Savior at the Lord's table, which perhaps these brethren do every month or with some regularity, Lord, may, may the communion become a means of growing in our, in our appreciation for him who gave himself up for the likes of us. And may the reality of your love for us stir us to greater measures of love for you and greater measures of determination to serve you where we're at, in our homes, in our church, in our work. Lord, we pray that you would make us better Christians. We pray these things... In Christ's name, praying also for those who are not Christians, that you, O God, would be gracious to them, and that you would win them, and that you would draw them from darkness into your light. In Jesus' name, amen.